Hey yo, Brent went to daughter, calls went to text, planes turned to drones, robotics in effect. Everybody using apps just to place a few bets. With media 2.0, what's coming next? Well, Adam, great to have you back on New Media 2.0. And uh, most people who are listening to this would have heard you talk and know your association with Act Capital Partners before. But for those that haven't, why don't you start by just introducing Act Capital Partners and uh, and what you guys look to invest in? Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for having us back, Chris. Uh, so at Capital Partners, we are a media-focused venture capital fund, or we actually prefer to label ourselves as private capital. Uh, we are focused entirely on um, unlisted media um, opportunities uh, with a global focus. Uh, obviously, today's discussion, which is going to be, as I believe it, around NFTs, have become very relevant within the media sector. Um, but at, you know, at Act um, at Capital Partners, we really do. We have a group of investors. Um, we help them access global media um, opportunities. And a lot of people in the industry say that my due diligence is, is second to none. And I've scoured the entire globe looking for an NFT expert. And, uh, and I, I've, I've stumbled across you. So uh, maybe talk, talk the viewer through what NFTs are, because there'll be a lot of people that have never heard of the term non-fungible tokens before, uh, what they are and perhaps how they affect the media industry, which is uh, one of your areas of expertise. Yeah, sure. Look, it's, it's interesting. You know, there's probably fewer people that haven't heard of NFTs now, um, but there's a hell of a lot of people that have no idea what they actually are. Yeah. And I, you know, I think your point about finding experts is, is really valid. From all of our discussions, you, you tend to have people that are either evangelists mm. uh, who are out there just selling the hype or you've got the naysayers, the traditionalists that are sitting there just going, this is all a bunch of baloney and, you know, what does it actually mean? Um, I think we fall more on the pragmatic side, which is that blockchain as a technology is really interesting. Um, I don't think it's going away. The analogy I'll give is it's a bit like the internet when it came along and there was all the hype around what is this thing that, that is the internet. The technology, the underlying technology was fabulous. Um, but what we find is that, you know, often when there's a new technology, markets act irrationally um, and there's a huge inflow of money to something that people just don't understand. So the best way of describing non-fungible tokens is if we think about what is fungible um, and currency um, or from a blockchain perspective, uh, Bitcoin is fungible, it's interchangeable. One Bitcoin can be interchanged for another, currency can be perfectly interchangeable. A non-fungible token is an item that is unique. It can't be transferred. You know, each, each token is effectively a unique token and, and therefore non-fungible. The interesting part about non-fungible tokens is that typically they're tokenizing an asset that is completely fungible. And by that, without confusing the audience, um, digital art, and this is where media comes in, um, a lot of digital assets have always been particularly difficult to monetize or commercialize because they're so easily copied. Yeah. You know, a digital file can be completely replicated, whereas a Monet painting, you have an original, and yes, you can make copies of it, but the original is still obvious. Um, so, so you're really talking about a way to authenticate digital property, really, which, which we haven't really been able to do before now. Is that fair? Correct. It's, it really, it's just... It's provenance. Um, yeah. And so if we think about art and anyone that has, has bought art in the past, there's always this notion of provenance. Was it painted by the original artist? Um, and 
that's a really difficult thing to prove often. You know, there, there are certain groups that, you know, I, I think it's Rembrandt's. There's three guys in Paris. No one knows necessarily who they are. If you want to determine that your painting is a Rembrandt, those three guys have to authenticate. Hmm. There's no science to it. And often they just go back through the history of the painting and the ownership. An NFT or a token is really digital provenance. It's saying that you as the owner of that token uh, you know, have ownership of the digital asset. But I think that's where it's, it's people probably get a bit confused with NFTs is that often they believe that the token is the digital asset itself. And in actual fact, blockchain, the technology that you know, underpins NFTs is not a great store or distributor of, of an asset. So it just purely is, it's a token that shows ownership. It's not the digital asset itself. Um, and I think that that's really important as you get into some of the more complex legal issues around NFTs. And so talk to me about some of the real world applications that we're seeing with NFTs. What are some of the companies that are popping up or, or some of the purchases perhaps that are, have been catching your eye? Yeah, look, it, it's, it's interesting. Again, uh, you know, if you look at the underlying technology blockchain and, and obviously the, the poster child of that is Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies. Um, what you've then found is a lot of people looking for other opportunities for blockchain. Um, they came up with Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, totally fungible, transferable. The NFT is another evolution of how blockchain can be utilized. Um, for those of us who have been around for the last four or five years, the, the previous iteration was, I think everyone would have seen the, the huge ramp up in ICOs, initial coin offerings that took place sort of five, six years ago. That was another utilization of blockchain and the hype around ICOs pretty much came and went. Um, what we're seeing with, with NFTs, and they've really been coming into the, the mainstream since about five years ago, it started off in a, you know, as it normally does, sort of pretty avant-garde fashion with things like crypto kittens and um, crypto punks, which were just digital artworks that people were able to prove through provenance, through attaching it to a blockchain, um, that there was value. And the thing with an NFT, unlike a currency, is that ultimately an NFT is only worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. So the value in the NFT is that there's been a marketplace established and there's been a secondary market which has said, hey, I bought a crypto kitten for $10 and I was able to sell it to someone else for, for $1,000. Um, and so as it's gone through, you've seen that sort of very nascent um, marketplace now develop into what you would start to see as more traditional um, uses for, for blockchain. So the, the one that's really um, been successful of late, and I think there's been about $500 million worth of sales, has been done by a company called Dapper Labs. Now, Dapper Labs were the original people behind crypto kittens, I think it was. It might have been crypto punks, but crypto kittens. They've um, evolved into um, Dapper Labs, and they've done a deal with NBA for the NBA moments or top shots. So in effect, they are putting on, people are able to buy an NFT token, which gives them ownership to particular moments, special moments or highlights from the NBA game. I think yeah. recently a LeBron um, moment sold for a couple of hundred thousand dollars. So this uh, is sort of a, 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 a digitization of basketball, digitization of basketball cards, but instead of just 
being a digital picture, you're now collecting an actual video, if you like. That's the sort of transformation. Absolutely. But and, and what's really interesting with though is what are you getting when you buy that token? And a lot of people would say that you own that video. Well, that's actually not the case. What you own is the right to resell that image, but you can only use that image for personal use. You can't use it for commercial use. Yeah. Um, and so which is not too dissimilar to a basketball card. When you buy a basketball card, even if it were a one-off, you don't have the rights to then right. print that picture and distribute it and make money off it as a poster or anything, do you? You've got that one basketball card that may or may not be unique. Absolutely. So it, it really is just the use of technology to expand what is already an existing category, which is cards. And, and probably creating a synthetic scarcity as well. Well, potentially, although what is interesting is if, if you buy, and I think the Tom Brady uh, rookie card recently sold, so the physical card recently sold for a couple of million dollars. It was yeah. an exorbitant amount. Um, and that is a card that you can hold, touch and feel. And there is only one of them. If, if someone was to authenticate it, all these cards come in different conditions. And, and there is a, a real sense that that is unique. The interesting thing with the moments or top shots is that any one of us could go onto YouTube and we mm. copy and download and have that exact same video, exactly the same. Like there is no differentiator other than the token tells you that a certain individual owns that moment for personal uses. So it's really a, a status or prestige piece. Yeah. Um, is it a bubble? I, I suspect that you'll find that it is, um, that you know, pop, the popularity of football cards and baseball cards, netball, you know, have all gone up and down over time. I suspect this is the same. And the, and the best way to look at that is Dapper Labs, um, which is a relatively new business, it raised a round of about 300 million earlier on this year at a valuation of 2.6 billion. It's just gone and done a new raise only several weeks after that initial raise at a valuation of 7.5 billion. Now, to me, if you look at that in an irrational market, you see these things happening. When it becomes more rational, I think what you'll find is that the value that is created through this new technology will actually revert back to the norm. So what do I mean by that? If, if you have a look at TOPS, so I'm not sure if you're familiar with TOPS, but TOPS has been around for about 90 years. They do Premier League cards. They've done Major League Baseball cards for the last 70 years. TOPS was bought out of administration, I think it was by um, Michael Eisner, the ex-Disney um, CEO, for about $320 million. It's about to go public again um, through a SPAC, and the valuation, they think, will be about $1.2 billion. It's just about to release, surprise, surprise, an NFT for baseball cards, Major League Baseball cards. Is there really any difference? You know, the Dapper Labs use Flow, which is a blockchain that they have, proprietary one that they've created. Um, the, the guys at Tops use Wax, which is a, another blockchain. But ultimately, I think what you'll find is the value that has been created is actually in the content owners, the Major League Baseball and the NBA and these other content owners that ultimately will recognise where the value resides. And that is that it's the cards themselves and the fact that they're NBA cards provide you with that value. Um, and I suspect that the, the valuation of Dapper Labs at $7.5 billion is going to be relatively irrational once the markets begin to treat NFTs as more of a normal um, technology. 
You mentioned the value that will be uh, retained by the sporting bodies, but with so many NFTs built on on top of Ethereum, yep. do you see that as being potentially a bit of a catch-all for investors that maybe don't have the time to look at Decentraland and decide if virtual land is is well-priced or expensive but still wants some exposure that's quasi-institutional grade now? Do you see that as being a more realistic way to play it as almost a catch-all rather than trying to pick individual NFT winners? Look, I, I suspect that there will be platforms and Ethereum seems to be the big winner at the moment when it comes to the blockchain that's being utilised for NFTs. But as I said, there's Flow, which is another one. There's Wax. There, there are a myriad of these. And, and it's why you know, I tend to look at blockchain more as a commodity. It's more, you know, if you look at the internet... Um, it was a technology available to all, and it's who is going to exploit it best. You know, if you were to place a bet now in terms of which blockchain is going to, to get some market leadership, um, then you quite possibly would look at a platform like Ethereum. Where it's really interesting with blockchain is around, and where I say that the the content owners or the authors, the the originators of the content, could be the big beneficiaries of blockchain is that through the smart contracting, so if you if you look at blockchain, it doesn't, as I said, it's not the store of the digital asset itself. It's just a, a whole lot of numbers and widgets and whatever that denote ownership. Um, but there's smart contracting that runs through that. And through that smart contracting, the original owner of the, or the creator of the content is actually able to say that for every resale of the NFT, they receive a cut of the monies. And I suspect that people like the NBA and the MLB and, you know, and other sporting bodies and other you know, content owners that are, that are successful, um, that they will more and more, as they see the value of these NFTs increase, if they indeed do increase, and I suspect that they'll probably go back to being more like a football card or other collectible, um, that they will want to capture more of that value. They will be want to, wanting to be the ones that hold and retain that value rather than the Dapper Lab or the football card manufacturer, um, who in the end is really just holding a license to produce these NFTs. You can see the importance of that for creators and artist, artists as well. If you look at you know, someone like a Van Gogh who, who died without being recognised and making money, if his artwork was on an NFT and his family who inherited his estate got 20% of the sale price of that NFT in perpetuity, you know, it's a very different story longer term and same with musicians who are you know, to put it simply getting ripped off by a lot of record companies with the amount of share they get of the the art they create it, it sort of can be a bit of a game changer for people in those industries i think it can it, it's really interesting though the legalities of all of this because most of the platforms now the smart contracts at the end of the day even if the blockchain has a smart contract a lot of the um, the contract can be off. So copyright, for instance, when someone buys an NFT, a bit like when you buy a book, you get the book. Um, in the case of the NFT, you get certain rights to do with the digital asset, but you don't own the underlying copyright. But if it's your song, you do. You, you do. And if, you, if it's your song, you own it. Um, if you're the acquirer of the NFT, you can only get the copyright if there is an agreement between you and the, the songwriter. Interestingly, though, in law, the only way copyright can be transferred is in writing. So how that happens on blockchain is going to be very interesting. Mm. The other thing is that even if it's in the smart contract, once you get to secondary markets, 
the issue becomes are some of these um, some of these smart contracts the you know the fact that the the original author should be receiving a percentage etc is that passed on to the the new owner um, and more importantly the smart contract doesn't provide enforcement so ultimately you are still going to have to go out as a musician or an artist you know in in van gogh's stage 150 years later and the family is going to somehow ha going to have to be out they can track the sale through blockchain mm. um, but often as i said the actual digital asset doesn't sit in the blockchain it sits on the shelf effectively off platform um, and so there's still a whole lot of legalities around yes it could be transformative um, i think it will get better but at the moment there is still a bit of confusion around how all of this is going to be managed i think one of the things you said early on was was that um it's quite a polarizing topic and you'll have either people who are evangelical about it or just think it's completely ridiculous um and i think it's fair that you could think something's potentially a bubble but you could also think it's potentially important there's nothing wrong with believing that bits of both camps are, are right is that is that a reasonable way to look at a new trend like NFTs? Oh, look, I, absolutely. I, I think that you know, if you if you look at most things in life, when people play at the extremes, um, it's very rare that they're everything they think is actually true. Um, that there is the shades of grey in the middle, and I think with NFTs, um, there is no doubt that the blockchain technology and its utilisation is going to be transformative. Um, what, what is interesting, the evangelicals seem to be su suggesting that it's creating a whole new asset class. Now, my, my thought would be that a football card is a football card. It's just that you know, new technologies allow you to, to distribute and to, to build that market in different ways. Um, an NFT, which is associated with a football card, is still a football card and falls within that asset class, um, just like with property. Um, a lot of people are talking about the use of NFTs for property. Um, and, you know, interestingly, there's two types of property these days. There's physical property and then there's digital property. Um, so we'll go to the physical property first. Um, there is no doubt that um, you know, if you think of an NFT, it's very much a, a digital deed to the house. So at the moment when you buy or sell a house, the deed is transferred and you become the owner of that deed and it's, you know, the process for doing that, it gets registered with the appropriate bodies, et cetera. With an NFT, um, you could do the same transfer and the smart contracting, and it's a much more um, time efficient, cost effective means of property transfer. Does it mean that it's no longer a property asset? Does it now become a, an a NFT asset? My view would be it's still a property asset. Um, so to your point, I think that absolutely both can be true. Will NFTs, I look forward in 10 years, will blockchain technology and NFTs be around? Absolutely. Is there a current bubble? Um, I suspect the answer to that is absolutely as well. Um, and I look back to, you know, I, I remember living up in Singapore around the dot-com boom um, and everyone was talking about the internet, we're all talking about the precursor to Google, which was Ask Jeeves, and isn't this extraordinary? We can just type in any question and they're giving us an answer. And no one understood what was going on and the money that was flowing in was extraordinary. 
companies like Amazon were actually struggling online book sellers because people didn't get that, but mm -hmm. other companies were soaring. Um, once the market became rational, what you found is that really good traditional businesses using that new technology exploded, Amazon being the best example of that. Some of those early businesses that, that boomed, you know, sort of went out of existence before, you know, shares got out of escrow um, because all of a sudden people realised that this was just an application of technology. It wasn't necessarily um, a completely new marketplace where, that changed the rules entirely. Um, so I suspect that NFTs are going to be the same. And to your point, I think it can be both transformative and can be something that is a, a bubble um, and we'll probably find that out over the next two to three years. The thing I see most investors do is, is just really zero in on confirmation bias. So you'll see anyone, you know, someone who's studied Austrian economics or is a Buffett disciple, they'll read a story that was in the New York Post about a guy who uh, had a WhatsApp group with his mates and any time one of them needed to fart, they would record the fart and send it to one another. And after 12 months of this, uh, he reckons he could identify his mates just by the sound of their fart. And after 12 months, he decided to do something incredibly useful with this, this work of art and put it on an NFT and sold it. Thankfully, it only sold for $300. So the Austrian ec economists couldn't hold on to it going for millions of dollars and, and completely tear up the whole NFT trend. But then also, you know, you'll see stories of teenagers in Venezuela where the currency is completely collapsed and they're earning money playing a video game they're good at or selling swords or trading jackets uh, in a video game and turning that into Bitcoin and providing for their entire family in a, a currency much harder than, than their local currency. So I, I just feel depending on which of those stories you attach to or more if, if you're an early adopter versus a, a traditional economist type, you'll hold on to either of those narratives and, and completely dispel the other. Do you think that's a trap investors can fall into? Oh, look, I think we all do. Um... I think that one of the issues at the moment that we've got is, I, I sort of refer to it as celebrity inflation. Um, th there seems to be a, um, a lot of uh, self-motivation around you know, building the hype around, um, around NFTs and you know, obviously cryptocurrency. Um, we're finding this, you know, the, the fact that there's been this social media, it's all happened in the era of social media. You've now got um, you know, huge celebrities that are, promoting this, uh, this initiative. You know, Tom Brady's just gone into, he's created his own NFT business, which is presumably going to create NFTs around, effectively, he's creating a trading card company. Now, if Tom Brady had gone out and invested into a traditional trading card company, people would have scratched their head and gone, what's the guy doing? Um, I suspect he is taking advantage of the hype that is around these markets. Um, what's interesting, though, you talk about gaming and, with the internet, really the, the driver of a lot of the innovation um, and initiatives within the internet was the porn industry. Um, and the porn industry often is an early adopter of a lot of these things. In this instance, it's been gaming. And mm. if you have a look at it, for most of us, um, we find all of this quite foreign. Um, but if you speak to your kids, you know, 14 year old kids who know the yield curve of the, you know, the cost of a sword within Fortnite, um, it's because within the gaming sector, um, NFTs or, or the use of NFT is, is quite common. It's quite commonplace. And we all look at it and go, you know, what are you talking about? You know, at the moment, for instance, you can go and buy digital land, 
You can go inside, you can buy a property with cryptocurrency and you can sell it for real money. And, and you can do that, but you can buy digital land in a video game or yep. you can buy digital land that, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge or Absolutely. that replicates real assets in the real world digitally. There's all, that, that means lots of different things in and of itself, doesn't it? It does. And, and look, we all look at it with a bit of like, what is all this about? But, you know, the, the analogy I give is that we're all quite comfortable going out and you might buy a Ralph Lauren T-shirt for a couple of hundred bucks because you want the status of having Ralph Lauren. The fact is it costs the same to produce as probably a T-shirt from Cotton On. Um, it's a status piece. And a lot of kids, and not just kids, but a lot of people live within digital communities. They mm. spend all their time within these digital communities and it's status. It's status to own the Golden Gate Bridge or to own a great block of land in a digital community and to build on that. Um, it's just a new way of recognising status and portraying yourself within a community. And a lot of these communities, particularly, you know, through the COVID period, you know, these digital communities are very important to people. Um, NFTs and blockchain has enabled the transfer of a lot of those assets because now for the first time, you can actually quite credibly show provenance. You can show digital certification that, yes, I own that that piece of land or I own that sword or that skin within a game. And what's more, there's secondary markets to sell it. And within these metaverses that have been created, mm -hmm. there are even platforms now that let you trade between metaverses. Mm -hmm. Again, it all seems very foreign to us um, because obviously none of this existed when we were 14, 15. But believe me, it's not going away. Um, it's very much part of today's economy. Um, and the use of blockchain is a really um, neat way of being able to provide value and you know, create that, that ownership or provenance for digital assets, which previously you hadn't been able to do. I think too, like if you go back far enough, you could think about what generations ago would have thought was ridiculous. And you mentioned the branded white T-shirt. You know, if, if 400 years ago you'd have told someone you were going to charge them a hundred times the price of a plain white T-shirt because it had Louis Vuitton written on it, that would have just seen the most ridiculous thing in the world to someone who was looking at these T-shirts and for all intents and purposes, they were the same thing. Um, and you go back even further and, and some, some races who, who didn't own any property and didn't even believe in property ownership, the fact that people would come and title up property and have property rights and land ownership and a legal system to support that, would have seemed incredibly ridiculous as well. So it sort of feels like it's important to not poo-poo it just because we haven't seen it before. Because if you go back far enough, there would have been a whole heap of people that would have said, this new trend of branding is ridiculous or property ownership doesn't make any sense. But you fast forward long enough and it, 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 if, if enough people are doing it and enough people says it has value, it, it does. Oh, look, absolutely. Look at, look at how much bottled water we drink today. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, there, there is no question about that. Um, I think that it, it is going to be really interesting to see how it evolves. I think sometimes people get really confused and, and see things as being totally new. So I've, I've listened to a lot of pundits who have talked about the tokenization of the world. So um, they talk about, you know, Chris Judd, you know, Invest could 
be tokenized and you could have an NFT and with that NFT, people could buy it and they get access to special content and everything else. And I sit there and go, yeah, you could do that, but that's called a subscription. Mm. You know, using blockchain to sell a subscription is just a use of new technology, but it's still available. Um, they talk about fractionalized ownership. So all of a sudden it's going to, you know, and I, I hate this term because they talk about the democratization of stuff. Normally, when they talk about democratization, it, what it means is it enables the exploitation of people that don't actually have the knowledge to, to know what's going on. But horse ownership, most of you, you know, if you've owned a horse in Australia, you've probably done it through a syndicate. Mm. Now, blockchain would enable syndication and it would be more cost effective and more you know, um, time efficient, but it's not a new phenomenon. Um, it's just a new application of the technology and getting back to the fact, does that mean horse ownership? We've now got a new asset class. My argument would be, I, I don't think so. I think it's a really efficient use of technology. And that's why, to your point, I think we should all embrace the use of blockchain. And, and I think we probably will. And I think we will, again, markets will go from being irrational to being rational, um, much like it happened with the internet. But Often what people are explaining as being radical change and, and new ideas is really just the application of a new technology to a tried and true methodology. Mm. And you, you mentioned the metaverse before, which for, for many people that aren't familiar with the, the, the new digital worlds that are being created, um, do you want to maybe flesh that out? And, and we're hearing about concerts being done inside the metaverse or shops being opened up inside the metaverse. I think there was stories of school teachers during lockdowns where instead of uh, giving their kids curriculum, they would the kids have, would have to go into a video game and inside the video game written on a whiteboard would be the curriculum. Outside of gaming, could you see real-world applications for this metaverse where the old traditional website, which is sort of like a magazine that's been digitised, where that evolves, so entering a website is an address in the metaverse where you actually go inside and look around more in a virtual reality type of scenario. Is that sort of a world that websites could take us to in the near future? Oh, look, I, I, I think there's no doubt that that will be the case, and there's a lot of applications. So the metaverse is really just an online universe. Um, yeah. Gaming's used it incredibly well, and if you think about it, it's you know, it seems like something you understand, but the technology behind it is very difficult because you might have to have thousands of concurrent users within this universe, all creating in real time a different experience. So it, it is very difficult to do. And the gaming engines, you know, driven by, um, you know, the, the guys at Unity and the guys at Epic through their Unreal Engine, and there's, there's a number of other gaming engines that have been developed, have become extraordinarily good at being able to deliver these, these experiences in the metaverse. Um, we've actually just invested in a company in the UK, which um, Pixel Max, which um, works on. So there's part of it is um, this two-way communication, uh, where like a Zoom experience or a Teams experience. Um, but what they do is also replicate three um, D replication of real world. So they could have Chris Jard Invest's office. Mm. But when you're talking. We, we would have our avatar, we would go in, we'd be able to walk through your environment, I'd be able to knock on your door. If you were available, you'd open up and then we would be able to have a, a real um, uh, conversation through a Zoom-like experience. Yeah, okay. uh, if you open that up further to conferences, you can do virtual conferences where you can walk around as your, 
as your avatar, go in, see a booth, speak to the people, see the product, but you're having an exchange of information, you're having real dialogue. Um, there are so many of these applications that you will start to see. I don't think anyone should be scared of it. I think we've all got used to it because we, you know, COVID has sort of provide, provided this global experiment of, of digital. Um, I don't think it's, you know, again, we love this binary stuff that it's going to be all of one or all of the other. I don't think that's the case. I, I think that most of these things happen in this grey area in the middle where there'll be a, a hybrid. Um, there will be great utilisations of the metaverse to enable remote learning, companies to be distributed all around the world and yet come together within a metaverse and mm. explore and engage in a, a more compelling fashion than just this sort of direct dialogue like we're having. Um, but then you, you know, we are communal beasts. You know, I think humans you know, typically love it when, they, when COVID, you know, the lockdown stopped, what do we all do? We all wanted to flood back to the football. We wanted to go back to pubs. Um, again, I, I don't think that you know, often people um, try to, to think that technology is somehow just going to completely alter things. I think more often than not, it's, it's transformative um, and you look for the positives out of that transformation. Um, there will certainly be some negatives and we all know those around gaming, and, you know, people hanging out for too, too long. But in actual fact, through COVID, if you have a look at how your kids probably acted, it was their way of, of actually being social. They could mm. do it digitally because all, they weren't confined to their house. They could be in their house and yet talking to all their friendship groups through these digital um, applications. And the idea of being in a metaverse and having a, a um, you know, an avatar that, that is acting and perhaps people spending majority of their time in, in a digital metaverse as opposed to the physical world seems a bit scary or, or uh, a bit ridiculous to some, but you've already seen it starting to happen with social media where there'll be plenty of people that spend a huge chunk of their time on social media the day many of the people have high status on social media that they don't have in the physical world many of the people pretend that they're a big tough guy on social media that they would never do in the physical world because they'd get bashed um yep. so we're already seeing people and, and you'll find people spend more time often where their status is bigger if that is online they'll spend more time online often under a pseudonym if it is in the physical world they probably enjoy that world more do you think this is just a natural evolution of what's already started? And, and could we see a world where some people are spending 60 to 70% of their time as an avatar in the digital world, where they've got a lot of status and gradually pull away from the physical world? Look, I, I personally, I don't think it will go, you know, again, I'm always big on the where the extremes are. I think you'd probably find scarily that there are already people that spend 60 yeah. to 70% of their time in these um, artificial worlds and, and in some respects that might be a, a good thing for that individual um, professional video game players would be a for instance where they may not be in an actual metaverse but they're playing a video game for the majority of the time they're awake absolutely or you know they're, they're in you know there there are a lot of people and you know not if you in australia but also you know up in asia and um and and other countries where you know people spend an extraordinary amount of their time or their life inside a digital world. Mm. Um, I, I tend to, so yes, that will occur. And I, I, look, I, I also think that a lot of this is very new and we will come up with new regulation and we'll come up with ways in which, you know, people cope with it better. I think even with social media, you're going to find that, you know, some of the insidious nature of social media will 
um, be regulated away, hopefully. Um, but uh, you, know, you, you also can look at what are the advantages of all of this, whether it be from education or health, um, from a business perspective. Like if, you, if you've got a company, look at Amazon at the moment. They've employed 500,000 people over the last 12 months. 500,000 people. It's just extraordinary. 1,500 people a day. To build out a culture and to be able to engage with all of those people, we, physically, you, you can't bring them all together. And there's plenty of businesses now where you know, even our business, we've got advisors in the US, we can't mm. travel. We've got advisors in the UK, we can't travel. We've got investments in those countries. So having technology and a metaverse where, which provides a a better way of us being able to, to communicate and, and engage has got to be a positive, um, just as it is with education and health and other, and other um, areas. So I think that there's still going to be, you know, as with any evolution, um, there will be uh, hiccups and it's going to be difficult. And for a lot of us, we just won't get it. Um, personally, I'm not on social media, never have been, um, and I don't get it. But... You know, there's 4 billion people on the planet that are on it. Um, and, you know, I'm just a sort of a, a holdout that, you know, that's sort of lost in a bygone era, I suppose. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, we will see the evolution of these. And I think it will be ultimately very helpful to society once we work out, you know, what are the acceptable norms within these environments. Um, and that's the piece that I think still is unregulated to a certain degree. And in terms of the ancillary innovations around that will potentially push this, this trend forward in terms of NFTs and digitisation of, of everything, is it 5G technology and, and virtual reality? Are they two of the big thematics that you think are really going to drive innovation in the NF, NFT and metaverse space? Yeah, look, I think um, VR and AR, I think you'll, you'll find that augmented reality is going to play a very big part in this as well. So that mixed reality piece. Um, I think that you'll find this, this notion, and I, I heard someone talk about, you know, Mark Andreessen and, you know, Software Out the World, and, and this is really, you know, now it's just going to be, this is the internet of value and everything's going to be tokenised. Uh, you know, I, I have a particular view that I don't necessarily think that's a good thing and I don't necessarily think that that's where it will go once things become rational. Um, I heard someone talk about the other day uh, that they were saying that, this will solve the student debt problem because what will happen is that students will actually come out with an asset because what they'll do is they'll tokenize themselves and sell a share of their, their future earnings. And to me, this is a bit about this democratization. All that says to me is these people will be exploited because ultimately, yes, the very few of them may recognize what their value is going to be, but really you're just selling it forward and you're probably going to undervalue yourself because you're in a position where you don't know any better. Um, and there will be people, much bigger organisations, much more that will know how to get the value out of it. So I, I tend to think that it will be, you know, this tokenization of the world. I don't really see it going that way. I, I think that what blockchain will do is where it helps being more cost, cost effective or more time efficient or, you know, helps to, you know, with deeds of the house, for instance, you know, we rely on some record keeper. We assume that the records have been kept in the appropriate fashion by whoever has to keep them. But do we really know? Do you know what I mean? Like, is that happening? 
with a blockchain, you can see that you know it's completely um, transparent. You can see that that that's going to be a more efficient way of doing it. So that's fantastic. Does that transform the world? I don't necessarily think so. I, I think it makes it more efficient, as technology should. Um, so I think right now that there is this huge hype around it. Um, I, I see it as being really similar blockchain to the internet. Um, and the internet has transformed the way we've done business. It's, you know, some retailers haven't existed and other retailers have become the largest businesses the world has ever seen because they've used the technology really effectively. And I think we'll see that with blockchain. NFT, the collectible piece, the provenance, um, I think is a really interesting use of the technology. I think that there will be some NFTs that will retain value just as some collectibles retain value. Um, let's face it, when Andy Warhol came out with pop art, you looked at it and went, well, it's a bloody can of Campbell's soup. Like, mm. who gives a top? It's, it's worth a lot of money. And there's a lot of digital art that will be worth a lot of money. And people can now actually value that and own that digital art. So there's no doubt that there'll be NFTs that are great. That fart NFT in 10 years time is probably only going to have half a dozen possible buyers. And that's the guys who actually, you know, put themselves to music. I'm not um, ruling myself out of the fart NFT, Adam, either, to be honest, <laughs> at this stage. I, I was intrigued. Yeah, so it is, you know, I, I think that it will, you know, as I said, I, I think that most markets ultimately become rational. I think what we're seeing now is an irrational market. So money is just flowing in and that's why you're getting Dapper Labs with a $7.5 billion valuation, um, far greater than a traditional company that's been in the industry for 90 years. Um, will they retain that valuation? We'll, we'll have to see. Um, that's for the future to determine. It's a uh, it's as good a place as any to finish up. It's a very balanced uh, balanced view. I just don't want you to rule out when the Christian Invest token hits the uh, hits the screen. So I just don't want to rule out you participating, Adam, because I've got a very good feeling about it. Oh, don't you worry, I'll be there. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Great to chat. Fantastic. Thank you. If you're enjoying New Media 2.0, make sure you subscribe to Christian Invest. Please don't take anything you hear on this podcast as investment advice. Do your own research or seek out a professional investment advisor before committing any money into these markets.